Good morning, everyone. I'm going to continue this morning on our chapel series on the church. For the past several weeks, we've been answering the question, how? How should we be the church in the world? And we wanted to present a holistic view of that. And so we talked about how we needed to be a worshiping church and a serving church. Last Tuesday, Chad talked about how we need to be an edifying church. And this morning, I'm going to talk about the need to be an evangelistic church. You know, I've had the privilege of serving at Ozark Christian College for 22 years now. And I love this place. I love our faculty and staff. I love the students that God sends our way. And I love our vision and mission statement. Our vision statement is this, that Ozark Christian College exists to glorify God. And we do that by evangelizing the lost and edifying Christians worldwide. And I love that vision statement because as I often say, we are a Jesus school and that vision statement reflects the heart of Jesus. You know, as an institution, we have a life verse and our life verse at Ozark Christian College is found in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to read that. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Here it is. Matthew records, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So there is the good news, the euangelion, the evangelistic aspect of his ministry. And I'm so glad at this time, when we have a worldwide pandemic going on, when people are anxious and scared and don't know about the future, we have our graduates, we have students around the world sharing the good news of the gospel, ministering to the spiritual needs of people, just like our Savior Jesus. So he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, and then it said he healed every disease and sickness. And we have graduates that have been part of our dual degree program that are doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals and they are on the front lines right now ministering to people, healing disease and sickness. It goes on, verse 36, it says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And that is our prayer every year at Ozark Christian College, that God would send us workers to train and prepare for his harvest fields. And so with our student body this year and those watching at home, God sent us hundreds and hundreds of workers and this year, we're graduating 147 more workers to go out into the harvest fields. Jesus sent us, right? In the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. 
You know, I remember when I answered God's call myself. It was January 19th, 1992. I was attending First Christian Church in Carthage, Missouri. Mike Hughes was the preacher at the time. And that morning, he was preaching out of John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And that sermon was so convicting me that morning. In fact, when it came to the decision time, he actually kind of presented the normal decisions that we hear every week that, you know, he said, if you had not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you could come forward and confess him as Lord and be baptized into his name and, and experience life with your sins forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. You could make that decision. And then he said, for some of you, you've already made that decision, but you've kind of wandered. It's, you need to rededicate your life. And, and so he offered that, that you could come forward and rededicate your life to the church and to discipleship and to Jesus. And then he threw one out there that I had, he had never done before. And he said, for some of you, if God is calling you into full-time vocational ministry, then you can come forward. You need to make that decision this morning. And you guys, that was me. I, I was sitting in there, you know, we started to sing the invitation song and I'm just sitting in the pew while we're standing and, and, and I just filled the spirit of God. I don't know if you've ever felt it, but he was just calling me. I felt like pulled to go forward. And my beautiful wife, Georgia, was just standing next to me and, and she looked at me and she said, Doug, is, is God trying to tell you something? And I was like, nope, nope, I lied. Because the, the invitation song was almost over. And I've done this before. Like God can call you to make a decision. But if you just ignore it and milk it, you can just, yeah, you can go a couple more months and, and be fine in your mind. And, and then I, I hate when worship guys do this, but the, the guy was like, you know what? Let's sing another round. I'm like, oh my gosh. And we just start singing. And I felt so compelled to go forward, but I wasn't going to do it. And my wife looked at me and she said, Doug, are you sure? And man, I got principles. I can't lie to my wife twice. And I was like, oh gosh. And, and I go forward and I, I made this decision to go into full-time ministry. And the crazy thing was we had just built a brand new house. I built it with my own hands. It took me a year. We had only lived in it eight months. And yet I just gave all that to God. And answering that call brought me to Ozark Christian College in the fall of 1992. And that semester, I enrolled in several classes, and one of the classes I had was the book of Acts with Mark Scott. And one of the assignments in that class was to do an inductive study on prayer throughout the book of Acts. And so I was painstakingly reading every verse in the whole book, trying to pick out any nuance of prayer. And I finally came to Acts chapter 20, and I discovered my life verse. There was a verse that just reached out and grabbed me that day. It's the Apostle Paul. He's at the end of his third missionary journey. And he feels compelled to go to Jerusalem. And so he sends for the elders at the church at Ephesus and asked if they would travel the 36 miles south to meet him on the beach at Miletus. I mean, these were men that Paul was close to, men that he had developed a relationship with, men that he had previously spent three years of his life teaching and mentoring. And when they arrived, Paul reminded them of how he had lived his life and ministry, of how he had served the Lord with great humility and tears. And he expressed to them that he felt compelled to go to Jerusalem, not knowing what would happen to him there, 
but that the Holy Spirit had warned him that prison and hardship await. And then I read the words, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, where Paul responds, and yet I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And it was that day in the library in the fall of 1992 on the campus of Ozark Christian College that I first realized how high of a call I was pursuing and how serious a task I had been given as a disciple of Jesus. A call that can only be obtained and a task that can only be accomplished if we consider our lives worth nothing to us. And, and this is a call not only issued by the Apostle Paul, but it's echoed in the words of our Savior. Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. It was the words of Jesus like these that prompted the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer to say, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And of course, my favorite missionary, Jim Elliott, you know, Brother Bolin, when he preached in the fall, prophesied and predicted that I would use Jim Elliott quotes this year and, and he's a true prophet. Jim Elliott, if you don't know, was a missionary that was killed January 8th, 1956 with four other men as they were trying to take the gospel to the Alca Indians in Ecuador. And what challenged me so much about his life and his story was really reading through his journals when he was a student at Wheaton College in Illinois. And at 19 years old, he prayed this prayer. Father, light these idle sticks of my life that I may burn up for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I desire not a long life, but a full life like you, Lord Jesus. And thus, it was in that day in the library, upon reading the words of Paul and reflecting on the words of Jim Elliot, that I devoted myself to wholeheartedly pursuing my studies and the ministry opportunities that God would give me for our call is too high and the consequences of neglecting that call too great to pursue our life with God half-heartedly. In fact, a week after that day in the library, I was in the dorm. My wife, Georgia, and I were residence directors also at that time in Williamson Hall. And I was talking to some of the students. And, and like it happens, I get it. They were complaining about the grading scale at Ozark Christian College, how it's kind of a high standard. And back then at the time, you had to get a 96 to get an A. And a 93 was a B plus, And a 69 is an F. And upon hearing their complaint, I informed them. I'm like, man, when I was in paramedic school, though, it was worse than that because I was a paramedic firefighter before I ever answered God's call to ministry. I'm like, man, if, if you ever got a 79, this was a year-long school, if you ever got a 79, you automatically failed out of paramedic school, even a 79.9. And if you complained about it, if you said, what, I'm, I'm failing out because of a tenth of a percentage point, they would just respond, what happened to the other 20%? And when I told the students this, they replied, 
yeah, but, but there you were studying about the things necessary to save lives. To which I replied, oh yeah, and here we're just studying about the things necessary to save souls. You know, I'm so grateful that many Christians know CPR and first aid. They're first responders and EMTs and paramedics and nurses and doctors. And they're on the front lines right now during this coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful that many of them are our graduates. And yet, we still need to pursue the salvation of souls with the same type of intensity that we pursue physical life. See, we need to be reminded of how high of a calling we have and realize how much is at stake to be willing to consider our lives worth nothing that we may complete the task God has given us, the task of testifying, of being a witness to God's grace, to do whatever it takes, to go wherever God calls us to go. You know, I worked, I mentioned I worked as a paramedic firefighter before I was in ministry. And I remember my first year as a paramedic, a 911 call came in as a child ill. And you learn after a while that 80% of 911 calls aren't really emergencies and child ill is just usually a child that has an elevated fever and the parents are stressing out. I get it. But we responded to this 911 call and as I walked into the living room of this house, there was a four-year-old little boy laying on the living room floor, not breathing. He was an epileptic and he had a seizure in the bathtub in about six inches of water and he had drowned. And I had not brought in my airway kit. So I sent my partner back out to the ambulance to get the airway kit. And, and I start doing mouth to mouth resuscitation on this little boy. And I remember he vomited and I cleaned out his mouth and I, I just start, I still do mouth to mouth resuscitation. We finally get the airway back in. We establish an airway and we try to resuscitate the little boy. And, and ultimately he had been without oxygen for too long and, and he passed away after a couple days in the hospital. But you know, thinking back on that call, I often have to ask myself the question, Doug, you were willing to breathe through vomit to save a life. What would you be willing to do to save a soul? Would you go anywhere? Would you do anything? Would you go and serve on a foreign mission field? Would you work in the inner city? Would you reach out to the diversity of our nation and our world? Would you give up things you enjoy in order to do it? Would you actually breathe through vomit to save a soul? Are you willing to give up all for Jesus? See, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse one, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Are you willing to be that living sacrifice? Another journal entry of the missionary Jim Elliott when he was 19, he would read through scripture every day and then journal about it. He was reading through the Psalms and he read Psalm 100 verse four. It will be familiar with you. Psalm 100 verse four says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And then he noted those Psalm 100 verse three that says, know that the Lord is God. 
It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And thus he comments in his journal, what are those sheep doing going into the gate? What is their purpose inside those courts? To bleat melodies and enjoy the company of the flock? No, those sheep were destined for the altar. Their pasture feeding had been for one purpose, to test them and fatten them for bloody sacrifice. Give him thanks then that you have been counted worthy of his altars. Enter into his work with praise. Boy, after I read that, I never sang Psalm 100 verse four the same way again. We need to be living sacrifices for God. And the extent to which we do that often reveals the value that we place on people's souls. We need once again to do whatever it takes to complete the task God has given us. Paul was willing to endure prison and hardship. What are you willing to endure? Have you ever noticed or looked at the contrast between the Apostle Paul's pre-Christian life and his post-Christian life? He writes about his pre-Christian life in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Look what Paul says. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And they were proud of being of the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin was the only child of Israel actually born in the promised land. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, in his family, they spoke Hebrew at home, not just Hellenistic Greek. In regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So that was Paul before he was a Christian. Now he becomes a Christian, a Jesus follower. And he records it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. He writes, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. You see, Paul was willing to endure all that because he knew he had been given a high calling and a serious task and he had a passion for souls. In fact, in Romans chapter nine, when he's writing about Jews, in verses two through three, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers those of my own race. I mean, the apostle Paul had such a passion for souls that he was willing to be cut off from Christ if that's what it would take to save others. Paul said he had great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart because souls were being lost. When I worked as a paramedic in Southern California, I remember responding to a traffic accident one weekend. I was working as a paramedic in the mountain station. It was actually station 53 in Gardner Valley. It's in the San Ysidro Mountains. Two cars had collided head on with each other. With each other. And on the scene, we had multiple patients with serious injuries. And one girl was trapped in the passenger seat 
of the car. We radioed for two life flight helicopters to respond to the scene, but they were about a half an hour away. And I remember squeezing into that crushed car and caring for that patient while the firefighters began to extricate her with the jaws of life. She was a 17-year-old pregnant girl and she had suffered major chest injuries. I continued to treat her and talking to her, trying to reassure her that everything would be all right, but I knew it was bad. The helicopter finally arrived and when she was extricated from the car, we loaded her on the helicopter and began our flight to the trauma center. And in flight, I saw her condition deteriorate right before my eyes. Her blood pressure dropped, her heart raced and then slowed. We were doing everything we could to save her. And yet I remember looking right into her eyes when she entered cardiac arrest. We continued to work on her throughout the rest of the flight. However, when we arrived at the hospital, she was pronounced dead. You know, that call still haunts me to this day to see a young girl perish before my eyes. And it caused me much anguish and heartache. And I still have to ask myself the question though, in reflection, Doug, you suffered much anguish and grief over the death of that girl because you have a passion for life. But do you suffer the same anguish over the loss of souls? Where does your passion lie? Do you have a passion for souls? The apostle Paul was willing to be cut off from Christ for the sake of a soul. Jesus was willing to go to the cross. The apostle Paul was willing to pray, face prison and hardship. What are you willing to do? Because you know in ministry it's easy, at least, at least for me, to kind of become hard-hearted, to hear of people rejecting Christ and it doesn't even faze you. I mean, this happened to me when I was a paramedic. I saw so many people die over the years that sometimes you can just be hardened to the fact. In fact, I remember one day my partner and I were in the drive-through line at the Carl's Jr. restaurant. It would be Hardy's out here. And right when we were in line, we were waiting for our food and we received a call. It came in as a heart attack. And, and so I picked up the mic and I was like, him at Medic 11 responding. And then we just sat there and we waited for our food. And, and we kind of told the waitress, the girl working in there, hey, can you hurry up with the food? We got a call. And she thought we were joking. And she brought us the food. And as soon as, as, soon as we got it, we turned on the lights and siren and responded to that call. And that call actually ended up being nothing, but it could have been something. In fact, a couple days later, we went back to that same restaurant. That same girl was working the drive-through lane and, and she was like, you guys, was that, are you serious? That was a call? And we're like, yeah. She's like, what happened? I was like, well, the guy died. If you would have been quicker with them fries, we could have saved him. And, and that was just my attitude at the time. And I'm not proud of that, but my partner and I had seemed to just have lost our passion for saving lives. We were just going through the motions. Becoming a paramedic or being a paramedic at the time had just become a job to us. And yet I often wonder if sometimes we have that same attitude about souls, passing up opportunities to minister because we might be embarrassed. Or even in the church, you know, parents discouraging their kids from going on the foreign mission field because it might be dangerous or even working in the inner city. We all need to search our hearts and ask, where is our passion? How much is a soul worth to us? Because so much is at stake and you have such a high calling and it's imperative that you finish the race. See, Paul was a finisher. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Paul completed his task and finished the race because he considered his life worth nothing to him. And that is what you and I have been called to do. And thus the question before us this morning is, are you willing to lay your life on the line for Christ? Are you willing to be this sold out Jesus follower? Whether it be in your studies or in your finance, in your witness, back home with your family. You didn't plan to end the semester back home and yet God's calling you to be a witness in whatever situation you find yourself in. And are you willing to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given you? Another prayer of Jim Elliot was this, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, but make me a fork that people might turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. See, the call is not to be a milepost. The call is to be a fork, to influence your family and your work and your community and your nation and your world. And the world needs you right now. Before I was a paramedic, I worked as a firefighter for the California Department of Forestry. And I remember the fire season of 1981. An arson was lighting fires all over Southern California. And I was stationed in the Hemet and San Jacinto Valley. And he was lighting fires around that valley also. I remember the day, it was in the fall because the Santa Ana winds were blowing. It was towards the end of fire season. And he just lit a bunch of fires in an area we called the Badlands. I remember being in the station and actually getting dispatched to the call. The dispatcher came over the intercom and said, station 25, 26, 27, fire. And then she said, engine 6171, engine 6163, squad 25, engine 27, engine 27A, engine 26, engine 26B, battalion 6115, respond to the vegetation fire, Highway 79 and Gilman Springs Road. And I remember just kind of running out of the station and looking over that area. And there was already this huge cloud of smoke. And as a young firefighter, we were just like, yeah, we were excited. We run to the fire engine. We start responding to that fire. We get closer and closer. We know it's going to be huge. And as we pull upon scene, my captain reached over to the mic. And normally you would get on the fire and he might say something like, Paris was the town of our dispatch headquarters. And he might pick up the radio and say, Paris engine 6171 on scene. We have a vegetation fire of 40 to 50 acres. Start a second alarm. Which you, if you know anything about the fire service, that just means send the next two or three available closest engines to help us out. But you guys, that's not what he said this day because this fire was massive. And I remember we get on scene and my captain picks up the mic and he says, Paris engine 6171 on scene. We have four to 500 acres of rapidly burning vegetation. And then he pauses and he says, roll the world, roll the world. And that wasn't some official code. He just made it up. But the dispatcher knew what he meant. And all of a sudden you hear over the radio, she starts dispatching the station. Station one, station five, station seven, station eight, station 10, fire. Station 11, station 12, station 20, station 22, station 23, station 28, station 29, fire. Station 30, station 31, station 33, station 34, fire. And then she starts dispatching the engines. Engine 6180, engine 6184, engine 1B, engine 5, engine 5B, engine 5A, engine 7, engine 10, engine 10A, 
engine 11, engine 12, engine 6182, engine 6181, engine 6179, engine 22, engine 22A, engine 23, engine 28, engine 28B, engine 29, engine 33, engine 33A, engine 34, engine 32, engine 32A, battalion 6113, battalion 6114, battalion 6111, division one, respond to the vegetation fire, Highway 79 and Gilman Springs Road. And we fought that fire this day. We were on the side of this hill. And after a while I could look out and I just saw all these lights and sirens coming to help us. It was strike team after strike team. And a strike team has five engines and a battalion chief. And then five more engines and a battalion chief. It was like the cavalry coming to rescue us. And man, they just came and rolled the world. And it was, it was amazing to see that. And you know, when I think about it, it's been 19 years almost now. But on September 11th, 2001, when this nation was attacked, that was the message that went out, roll the world, we need help. In 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast, that was the message that went out, roll the world, we need help. On May 22nd, 2011, when an F5 tornado took out a third of Joplin, Missouri, this town, that was the message sent out, Roll the world, we need help. And in the spring of 2020, in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic, that is the message that God is sending to his church. Roll the world. I have sent you back home to your family, to your workplace, to members of your community, to serve, to reach out and heal, to, to, to heal their souls, to share the good news of the gospel. Roll the world. God is dispatching you. Do you hear him? You have been given a high calling and a serious task. And thus in all your decisions in life, you need to ask, how is this helping me complete the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace? Some of you are home right now and you're praying about, should I return to Ozark in the fall? And you know, you have a call. And God's call is you minister where you are and then you come back for more training because I have more, another mission for you. Roll the world. How much is the soul worth to you? You don't have to answer that question out loud. For your decisions and pursuits in this life will reveal to God and the world your answer. Let me pray. Holy Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you for our students. Father, you have dispatched them. You have sent them back home and around the world in the midst of this time. This coronavirus is bad news and we have good news to share. More than ever now, people need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us be faithful. Help us rely not on your, our strength, but yours. Help us develop your heart for the nations and not only for physical well-being, but for spiritual well-being as well. Help us complete the task that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.